And so tonight, we don't get to welcome a guest. We get to say hello to a brother. And I want you to give a huge New Life welcome to our brother, John Bevere, tonight. All right? Come on, John. Hey, guys. Good evening. Hey, good evening, guys. Everybody stay standing. Everybody just stay standing. I always love to pray before bringing the word. I just want to say... You know, I've been traveling all over the world for 25 years. I think the last, my, my office told me, I guess last year, I was gone 229 nights, so, or 229 days. That's too many. Uh, people see me, they say, you know, stay in Marriott over 100 nights. I just said to pastor, I said, it just means I travel too much. So you got to understand, it's a real pleasure to be here in my home church tonight, to be with brothers that are family. And so it, this is a big, big treat for me tonight. And so I just want to say thank you so much, first of all, for just the way you love my family when they come in each week. Some of you may know them, you know, my, my, may know our boys. I'll show you pictures of them if you don't, but you've been a, just a great family. And I want to say, do we not have an amazing pastor? Do we not have an amazing pastor? Amen. And, um, you know, I'm asked, by, I'm asked by leaders all over the United States constantly, how is New Life doing? And it's so wonderful to look at them and say, New Life is doing amazing. And I got to say that these leaders many times look up back at me and they'll go, what happened to New Life? Should have buried New Life. And I said, well, God picked this perfect couple to come in and lead us. He put a grace on their life that was absolutely spectacular that not only saved New Life, but brought New Life to a whole new level. And so I want to thank you for that, Pastor. It's a joy. It's a joy calling you Pastor Brady. Amen. Can we thank God for our pastor? Amen. Amen. I know he probably hates that, but anyway, I just want to say it's great to be with all of you. Now, some of you probably don't know me because even though we attend here, I'm hardly here. I'm only here a couple Sundays a year, like Christmas and Fourth of July or something like that. So can I do something? First of all, let me say this. Get rid of the guest speaker. I'm family around here, all right? So you got Daddy Brady, Uncle John is in the house. So let's get this straight, all right? So a lot of you don't know me. I would love to show you a picture of my family. Some of my sons are probably even here. But here's a recent snapshot. That is my best friend and smoking hot, gorgeous wife of 32 years of marriage this year, Lisa Bevere. And uh, I told her a few months ago, I said, baby, if you were single, I would be so on your trail. But anyway, uh, our oldest son, Addison's on the left. He is the COO of Messenger International. He's like 27 going on 50 in wisdom. Next to him is Juliana. Juliana is my daughter-in-law, but I've adopted her as my daughter. She's from Texas. And then you see the three on the right. Uh, Austin is our second born. He um, is head of our marketing department. Right now he is in Thailand. We've got works over in Thailand and Cambodia and India helping girls get out of traf sex trafficking. Messenger International is Teach, Reach, Rescue. Teach is what Lisa and I do in traveling and others do. And then Reach is last year we were able to give, by the grace of God, two million resources to pastors in 58 nations in the world and so that's reach and then rescue is helping girls get out of sex trafficking and other things so austin is very involved in that he's actually in thailand right now and then alec is next to austin he's our third born he's studying engineering right now at uccs he actually won tough mutter in the entire state of colorado last year so he's one tough mutter and then we have arden arden's our youngest he's quite a golfer he shot like 67 and 68 in high school golf but uh, he just looked at me and said, Dad, I want to get on with the call of God on my life. There were college coaches talking to him. So he went to Wave Church, Pastor Steve Kelly. He's on our board out in Virginia Beach as an in interning this year. And then we have those two little ones. Those are our G-babies. Now you say, what is a G-baby? I am way too young to be grandpa. So it is G-daddy and G for short. So, hey, guys, you know, if you're G's, you understand. i got to highlight these G's. Here's Asher. He is turning five this year. And this is Sophia Grace. And this is really one celebrated little girl because she's the first girl born in the entire Bevere or Toscano clan since 1967. So you better believe this is one celebrated little girl. And, of course, I am her favorite because I'm G-daddy who gives her anything she wants, all right? And she turns three in March, and Juliana is pregnant with the third, and it's another girl, and, it, and she's due in May. So that's my family. And, you know, I'm telling you, I grow more in love with my family every single day, and that is a choice. I said that is a choice. Can you say amen? 
Listen, guys, can I say something? You should be so in love with your wives if you're married. All right, I'm going to talk to the married guys just for a minute. If the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, it's only because you are not watering your side of the fence, okay? So listen, stay in love with your ladies, all right? And treat them like a lady. Lisa and I just had the privilege of doing a marriage curriculum Friday. It's going to be releasing in August. And I want to say something that this is... Of all the time I prayed for a couple months and prepared for this, I really realized that what we do is when we get married, we sign up to serve that person for the rest of our life. If you look at it like that, you are one happy person. Because let me tell you, the most miserable people in all my travels all over the world, the most miserable people I meet, now I'm talking about Christians, the most miserable Christians I meet are Christians who don't serve. They want to be served. Or they just live for themselves. They're the most miserable. You see, that's against our DNA. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. He came to serve us. So you're created in his image. So if you don't serve, you're going against your nature, your spiritual DNA. You will be miserable because now you're kind of, you're kind of torn. You're, you're not doing what you really want to do. Are you with me? So if you really want a fulfilled life, just start serving, and you can start with your family. Can you say amen, guys? Now I could say amen, we could go home, we just had church, right? But listen, there's something that God's really placed in my heart for you tonight, and I really think it's going to help. I want to say this, that what I'm going to share with you tonight is actually a book I wrote about seven years ago, but as I was praying, I was talking to pastor about this, I just said, pastor, I really feel like, you know, I, 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 my... my utmost desire is that you walk out of this room changed tonight, that your families are changed tonight. And I really felt what God put in my heart in this subject that I wrote a book on seven years ago is what's needed for right now for our church. And so I just want to ask, would you just do this? Open up your hearts tonight. I don't want you to get a message tonight. I want your life changed forever. Can we agree for that? You know, the Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. So that's what we're going to ask God to do right now. All right. So let's believe for it. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this church. What a great blessing this church has been to my family, to this city, and to this nation, and to the nations of the world. But tonight I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that you would literally invade this sanctuary. There are men in here that need to hear from you tonight. I need to hear from you tonight. We all need to hear from you tonight. So I'm asking that you would reveal Jesus to us greater than we've ever known him before. And as you do, may we go from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the living God. For I decree this night, your kingdom has come within us. Your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. And for this, I give you all the honor, the glory, the praise, and the thanksgiving. And it is in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name we pray. And everybody that agrees says, come on, thank God, guys, for what he's going to do in our lives tonight. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Now, I want to say this. Uh, I grew up Catholic. In Catholic church, you are very quiet I am not Catholic any longer, okay? No problems with the Catholic. It's just I choose to be expressive, right? So you can talk back to me tonight. If I ask you a question, shout it back, all right? I like that. You'll make me feel right at home, all right? So tonight I want to open up with a scripture that the Apostle John wrote. Now, John was in his 90s when he penned these words. And there's something that I've learned. You can say a whole lot in a few words when you're in your 90s and you've been faithfully serving God. And so I want you to look at this scripture tonight. He says, look to yourselves. Now everybody say, look to myself. So you know immediately this message is not for the person sitting next to you tonight. It is for you, okay? Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for. That is a sobering statement. But that we may receive a full reward. Now everybody shout reward. How many of you know God's a rewarder? Yeah, man. I mean, how does he introduce himself to Abraham? He appears to this guy and says, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. What a way to introduce yourself to somebody when you're God, right? Now, the thing that really caught my attention is that John just doesn't write reward. Notice he specifically identifies full reward. Now, I was thinking about this. For John to specifically write full reward, what does that mean, guys? That means there's a partial reward scenario, and there is a no reward scenario. Now, isn't it interesting he doesn't write and say, hey, live in such a way that you're going to get a partial reward. 
Why doesn't he write that? Because God, now listen to my word, guys. God wants you to receive the full reward. Now, of course he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ where we're going to be examined as believers, right? And we're not going to be judged for our sins because our sins have been eradicated by the blood of Jesus. We're going to be examined on how we lived as believers. But how many of you know the Bible says that godliness has the promise of the life that now is and is to come? Now, the is to come is the judgment seat. What about the now is? Because Proverbs says the righteous will be rewarded in the earth. So I started meditating on this. And I said, Lord, what are you saying? You want me to receive a full reward here on this earth. So what do you do when you, get a, when you want to get a picture of the will of God here in this earth? You go to the ministry of Jesus, right? So I, go, I went to the Gospels, and I started meditating on the Gospels in the light of this Scripture. And all of a sudden, I realized there were people in the ministry of Jesus, some of them received full rewards from heaven. There were others that received partial rewards. There were still others that got nothing, no reward. And the more I realized, the more I meditated on it, the more I realized that there was a thread running through all these different scenarios. And that thread's what I'm going to share with you guys tonight. So in order to do so, let me go through some of the incidences in Jesus' ministry. First of all, I'm going to start out with Mark 6. Jesus comes to a city that is actually looking for the Messiah. They're anticipating his coming. They know it's the season of his coming. He comes to the city, and we read in the sixth, or the sixth chapter of Mark, verse 5. It says, now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, you have to understand, guys, in other cities... He's opening up the eyes of the blind, opening up the ears of the deaf, causing crippled people to walk. But in this city, just a few headaches were getting healed, or a bad back or a minor case of arthritis, but not near the miracles that were happening in other cities. But the words that really got my attention in this verse were the words, he could do no mighty work. Now, I remember when I saw this, I pushed my Bible back and I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Jesus, you're the son of God. You have the spirit of God without measure, yet you come to a city and the Bible says you couldn't do any mighty work? See, it doesn't say it wouldn't. If it said it wouldn't, I can handle that. That deals with his will. If it said he couldn't, that means he's restrained. The Amplified Bible makes it really clear. The Amplified says he was not able to do any mighty work. And I remember I just said, what is up with this? How many of you know we got to understand what would restrain Jesus, Right? Because if we understand what restrains Jesus, we're going to understand what restrains us as men, right? So I started praying that morning. I said, God, you got to show me what, what would restrain Jesus from doing any works. And I found the answer in the previous two verses. Look what verse 3 says. The people said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor. Now everybody say honor. Say it again say it one more time except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house now what's happening here jesus comes to nazareth the city in which he's raised in it's sabbath he goes to the synagogue everybody in the city is in that synagogue now he walks up to the platform and he grabs a book of the old testament the book of isaiah and he unrolls the scroll and he starts reading a very familiar portion of scripture to these guys, to these people all right everybody in this synagogue knew this scripture because it spoke of the coming messiah so he begins to read the scripture the spirit of the lord god is upon me for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted etc 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 so nothing's out of the ordinary until he closes the book and drops a bomb on them by saying this day is the scripture fulfilled in your hearing in other words i am the messiah now, when he says that, there's wrestling in the crowd. And fathers are looking at their wives going, Honey, isn't this the kid that grew up down the street from us? Somebody else goes, Hey, babe, isn't this the kid that was in Tim's math class? Somebody else goes, Hey, honey, isn't this the kid that made the kit table and chairs in our kitchen? Now, what's happening here? These people had an image of how Messiah was going to come. And their image of how Messiah was going to come was developed from Old Testament scriptures. Because the same prophet Isaiah also wrote in his book, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. So these people have an image 
of a warring, militant, conquering Messiah coming, delivering them from Roman oppression and rule, reestablishing the throne of David and ruling forever and ever and ever. But when Jesus comes as one of their hometown boys who built the furniture in their house, and now he's got a bunch of prostitutes and mafia following him because the tax collectors were the mafia of the day, they go, hold it. This is not the way we expect Messiah to come. Now that tells me something right there. Many times God will send you what you need in a package you don't want. Why does he do that? He's God. So when Jesus doesn't come the way they expect him to come, they withhold honor from him. Everybody say honor. Now I have done an extensive amount of study on that word honor there in verse 4. I have talked to two fluent Greek-speaking ministers. I've read every Greek dictionary and get my hands on. This is what I've discovered. That word honor there is the Greek word timi. Its literal definition is a valuing. So when you speak of honor to a Greek man, he's going to think of something that is weighty, precious, valuable, such as gold. Now, how many of you know you don't just throw gold anywhere? You don't put it in your junk drawer. You put it in a place of value, right? Other definitions of this word are to appreciate to esteem, to favorably regard, to respect. Now, sometimes we can understand better what a word is by looking at what it is not. The antonym of honor is dishonor, which is the Greek word atimi, which simply means this, to treat as common, to treat as ordinary. So I want you to think with me. The opposite of honoring somebody is to treat them as common, to treat them as ordinary to not show respect, to not value. Now, in some of the major Greek dictionaries that I examined, I found out something, guys, that's amazing. Honor can be displayed in action, in words, even in thoughts. But all true honor originates in the heart. This is why God says in Isaiah 29, verse 13, this people draws near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their hearts, but they're but they're, or excuse me, this people draw near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they've removed far from me, and their reverence towards me is taught by the precepts of men. What God is saying is they have the actions of honor, the words of honor, the songs of honor, but they don't have true honor, because true honor originates in the heart and is an outflow of the reverential fear of the Lord. So what happens here is, Jesus comes to the city in which he's raised in because he doesn't come the way they expect him to come. They withhold honor from him. The result, only a few bad backs got healed. A minor case of arthritis, but not near the miracles that occurred in the other cities. So they received a small partial reward from heaven because of one word. Everybody say that one word, guys because of honor. If you go to Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, you've got Jesus teaching. The Bible says there is a multitude of ministers that he's speaking to. As he teaches them in Luke's gospel, it says, the power of the Lord was there to heal them. Everybody say them. Who is them? The teachers and the preachers, the ministers, right? Now, how many of you know God never wastes anything? If the power of the Lord's there to heal them, that means at least one of them need to be healed. And when you've got a couple hundred people in the building, law of averages are half a dozen to a dozen need to be healed. But none of them got healed. It wasn't until some men tried to get into the building, but it was so packed, they had to go to the roof, break open the roof, let down a paralytic on ropes, and the Bible said when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now when Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you, the teachers and the preachers just thought this. Now, I want to paint a picture. They're not looking at each other going, Ralph, can you believe what the guy just said? No, Fred, to be quite honest, this is unbelievable. No, 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 they just think this. Who is this that can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. The Bible said when Jesus knew their thoughts, he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk so that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He looks at the guy and says, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks out. You know what the Bible says? All the teachers and preachers were greatly amazed. They were greatly amazed, but none of them got healed, even though the power of the Lord was originally there to heal them. They received no reward from heaven because they dishonored Jesus just in their thinking. 
thoughts count. Sure is quiet in this Methodist church. You still here? All right, if you go to Matthew's Gospel, the 8th chapter, you got an officer of the Roman army. He's a centurion. He comes up to Jesus. He looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, my servant is dreadfully tormented. Would you please heal him? Jesus looks at this officer of the Roman army and says, I'll come heal your servant. The officer immediately looks at Jesus and goes, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Wait a minute. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. This is the conqueror speaking to the conquered. Rome had conquered Israel. This is an officer of the Roman army speaking to a Jewish carpenter. Do you understand the respect, the honor he's showing Jesus? And then the officer gives the reason. He says, because I also am a man under authority. And because I'm under authority, I've got authority. So I say to this soldier one word, and he does it. And that soldier, one word, and he does it. And he said, I recognize Jesus, you're under your father's authority. So all I know is that you have to say one word, and that demon's got to leave my servant like my soldiers instantly obey me when I say a word. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Now when Jesus marvels, that gets my attention. And Jesus looks at the people and goes, I'm going to tell you, I have not found this much faith in all of Israel. Do you understand what Jesus just said? He just said, I found more faith in this Roman officer than John the Baptist. Yeah, he found John the Baptist in Israel. Or Mary or the 12. Now, I'm a man of faith. You're all men of, men of faith around here. We all know the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I'd be willing to bet, and I would win this bet, this officer heard far less scriptures than John the Baptist. But he had more faith than John the Baptist. Why? Because of his understanding of authority and honor, he received a full reward. Now, you're going to see this all through the Gospels. I'm not going to take time to do it. I do it in the book. Those who honored Jesus greatly got a full reward. Those who withheld honor got a small partial reward. Those who dishonored him got nothing. You take this all the way until Palm Sunday, one week before Jesus is crucified, and he makes the most amazing statement in Luke's Gospel, 13, chapter 35th verse. Look what he says. He said, I tell you, now this is Jesus speaking, you will not see me, Jesus, again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, I'm going away. Next week, I'm going to be crucified, and I'll go to heaven a few weeks after that. And you're not going to see me, Jesus, again until you say to the one I send you in my name, blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, I'm going away. You're not going to see me, Jesus, again until you honor the one I send you in my name. Why do I know that? Because Jesus says it over and over again in the Gospels. Here's one example. John 13, verse 20. He who receives, now I'm going to replace the word receives with honors because they're one and the same. He who honors whoever I send honors me, Jesus. And he who honors me, Jesus, honors the Father who sent me. And God gives us a spiritual law in 1 Samuel 2, 31. God says, those who honor me, I will honor them. Those who lightly esteem me, I will lightly esteem them. Now, how would you lightly esteem God? By lightly esteeming the one Jesus sends us, we lightly esteem Jesus. By lightly esteeming Jesus, we lightly esteem the Father. And the Father says, I'll lightly esteem you. Not a good thing when you need a prayer answered. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Here it is again. It's all over the Gospels. He who honors you honors me, Jesus. And he who honors me, Jesus, honors him who sent me. Now, look at this. He who honors a prophet in the name of of a prophet shall receive a prophet's what? What's that, guys? Everybody say it. What's that word? What's the first scripture we read? See that you receive a full reward. Starting to make sense? Keep reading. And he who honors a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's what? Say it really loud. All right, and keep going. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water honors them in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the three levels of human beings you're ever going to come in contact with. Every human being you ever meet will fall under one of these three categories. Those who are above us in authority, our leaders. Those who are on our level of authority, our peers. And those who are entrusted to our care, whom Jesus refers to li little ones. Honoring each of these levels of authority brings a certain reward from heaven. Why? Because Jesus said, you've done it to the least of these, my brethren. You've done it to me. And what you've done to me, you've done to the Father. And the Father shall likewise do to you. You still with me? Okay. Let me talk about each of these levels briefly tonight. First of all, prophet. Those in authority. Now, I'm not going to take the time to do this, but this can easily span out to the other three areas of authority 
that God has specifically delegated over our life. I mean, prophet speaks of church authority. But it could easily span out to the other three areas of authority that God's delegated over our lives. Because how many of you know that God has delegated four areas of authority over each of our lives? Let me see a show of hands if you know that. Okay, let's take a step back. Because only about a tenth of you understand what I just said. How many of you know all authority is from God? Please tell me you know that. Right? All authority is from God. Romans 13 verse 1. Now, there's, some of you didn't raise your hands because you don't like that scripture. Okay? Why don't you like that scripture? Because you've had mean, cruel, dishonest authorities. Now, let me make a statement here, guys. The Bible says all authority is of God. The Bible does not say all authority is godly. The authority is from God, but the behavior may not be. The Bible is filled with ungodly authorities. Their authority was from God. Their behavior certainly wasn't. See, I, I, I got to tell you something. I've, I travel all over the world. I've been on every continent except Antarctica. I have preached in about every culture going, I have found that Westerners, especially Americans, are some of the hardest people in the whole world to preach to, the things of God to. And the reason is so simple. We are a people trying to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. So you've got to understand something, guys. Democracy is great for America, but if you try to relate with God with your democratic mindset, you and God will not even connect. He's a king, a real king. Not a figurehead king like that lady in England. He's a real king. So his kingdom has rank, order, and authority. Are you with me? All right? So what are the four areas of authority that God's delegated over our lives? First of all, be civil. What are civil authorities? That's your president, vice president, right down to the policeman on the street. Next one would be family authority. Husbands head of the home, wife submit to the husband, children obey their parents. Third one is social authority. The Bible does specifically teach about that, and that is our bosses, teachers, coaches, etc., and the final one, which Jesus specifically referred to when he said prophet, is church authority. Now, let me talk about each briefly. Number one, civil authority. What does the Bible say about civil authorities? In Romans 13, it says, For rulers, civil authorities are not to be feared by those who do good, but by those who do evil, because they are God's servants. Everybody say, God's servants. God's say it with a little more conviction. Working for your own good. What does this mean? Well, let me help you understand it. A couple years ago, I was in the gym here in Colorado Springs, and I'm working out. And there's a man and a woman working out next to me. And I start talking to them. And we engage in conversation. It turns out, I find out in this conversation, I'm actually witnessing to them, that he's a policeman here in Colorado Springs. She's a policewoman. When they said that, I said, man, respect for, my t for, for you two in my heart is enormous. It's because the Bible says that you're God's servants. Now, the policeman, whose name is Sean, he looks at me and he goes, dude, are you serious? And I said, what, 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 what? He said, the Bible says I'm one of God's servants. I said, yeah. He said, I'm tattooing that scripture right on my back. <laughs> Couple weeks later, he pulled up his shirt. There it was, Romans 13. I thought, man, he's got that. I hope he's saved, okay? So, <laughs> verse 6, that is also why you pay taxes because the authorities, now look at this, are working for God when they fulfill their duties. What does that mean? The next time you're 15 miles over the speed limit, you see red and blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror, don't bind the devil. He's not working for the devil. He's working for God. That's when you pray for mercy. Okay? Okay, so keep reading. Verse 7. Pay them what you owe them. Pay them your personal property taxes and show respect. And what? 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 Keep reading for all the nice ones. All of them? Wait a minute, John, you tell me we're supposed to honor a mean, cruel, dishonest authority? Well, let me let the Bible interpret the Bible. 1 Peter 2.17 says, fear God, honor the king. You know what Peter's saying there? How can you say you fear God who you don't see when you can't respect the person he's placed his authority on that you do see? <laughs> do you know who the historic king is that Peter's writing about here? Herod Agrippa I. Who is King Herod Agrippa I? He was the king of Judea who was murdering Christians just to gain political favor with the Jewish people, the larger segment of people. Now, how in the world are you supposed to honor a leader who's murdering Christians in cold blood? It's not easy, but this is what you got to do. you got to see beyond the man's authority and honor the, listen, the position the man holds. See, in America, what we say to authority is you have to first earn my respect. The fear of God doesn't say that. Because the fear of God doesn't judge by the seeing of the eye, the hearing of the eye, judges according to righteous judgment. The fear of God doesn't say to a leader, you have to first earn my respect. The fear of the Lord says, 
I see the authority that is on you. Therefore, you already have my respect because I honor your position, not your behavior. I didn't write that, so don't get mad at me. Okay? I was in a church back, back in 1990 when I first started traveling. I went to this church in the Midwest part of the United States, 1990, 91, 92. This church had about 100 people in their church. They hadn't grown in 10 years. I stopped going. A few years later, I get an invitation to come back. They said they're going to have over 1,000 people. They were in a new building. I was like, no. I said to my assistant, that is not the same church. She said, it is the same church. I said, book me. I'm going. So I go, and I couldn't believe it. There's literally lights all the way down the street, policemen directing traffic, satellite parking lots, golfing carts bringing people in. It's a brand-new building. I walk in. The building is packed, bigger than this, over 1,000 people, right? And I, I looked at the pastor, and I said to him, what happened? Okay, let's just be honest. You were at 100 people for like 10 years. Now you're busting out at the seams in a new building on top of that. He said, do you want to know what happened? I said, yes. He said, I'll tell you what broke it for the church. I said, what broke it? He said, I was so, I was so fed up with hearing my, our, our, my church members complain about our city officials and trying to cut corners paying taxes. He said, I went to the mayor of our city and said, what's the greatest need you have in your budget that you can't afford this year? He said, the mayor said, it's a $25,000 fireman's mask. He said, I went back in front of my church on Sunday morning. I put that scripture up on the board, Romans 13. I looked at my church and said, how dare you speak against God's servants the way you criticize our city officials? How dare you try to cut corners giving God's servants what rightfully belongs to them in paying taxes? He said, so you know what we're doing as a church? We're going to repent, and we're going to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. He said, the city needs $25,000. I want to honor God's servants. He said, John, my little church of 100 people gave me $25,000 that Sunday morning. He said, I called the mayor, made an appointment, 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. A couple of my elders went down. The mayor knew what I was doing. He gathered all the city officials. He said, we went down there 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. I opened up my Bible and said, Mayor, and all you officials, you are God's servants. Our church honors you. We want you to have a check for $25,000 because we mean what we say. We honor you. They were blown away. He said, John, we did our building dedication nine months later. Every worker in the city came. Every worker. He said, a bunch of them got saved. It was the ticket that broke open the city. We honored the authority of God on the city, and God rewarded our church by opening the city to our church. That is honor's reward. Family authority. Ephesians 6. Honor your father and mother, which is the first suggestion with a promise. <laughs> first commandment, right? Now notice, there is a promise attached to the command to honor your mother and father, correct? Correct? Okay. So the reward is attached right to this command. What's the reward? It's actually two rewards. It's found in verse 3. Number one, that it may be well with you. Number two, that you'll live long on the earth. Now, I can't think of two better rewards. God says you have a covenant promise of God that you can stand on and say, cancer, get out of this household. I have honored my mom and dad. I will live long and I will be successful. I don't know about you, but that really excites me. Now, the problem is we live in a country that trains us to dishonor our parents. You saw those four boys I showed you? Four of the most godly boys I've ever met in my life. I'm not kidding. I'm not biased either. Now, there were certain movies when they were toddlers that Lisa and I forbid them to watch. And they weren't PG movies. They were G-rated movies. Did you hear what I just said? G-rated movies. Let me help you even more. Put out by the companies in Orlando and L.A. Okay, why did I forbid my kids to watch those movies? Because all through the movies, the kid actors spoke so disrespectfully and so dishonorably to their parents that then at the end of the movie, they got the reward they were after, like the dog, the monkey, the car. I said, forget it. You're not watching these movies. I forbid them. I'd rather you watch movies with righteous killing in it because that's all through the Old Testament, but you're not watching these movies. <laughs> now, there were, <laughs> there were some people that thought that we were too extreme. I don't think so because look what Deuteronomy 27 says. Deuteronomy 27 says curse. Now, if your neighbor says you're cursed, big deal. God says you're cursed. That's a bad day. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, so be it. How many of you know that God put the Ten Commandments in the list of the order of importance? I don't have time to prove it to you, but it's in the book. It's in, the, in other words, the first commandment is the most important, tenths the least. 
okay? First four deal with our relationship with God. Last six deal with our relationship with our neighbor. God put them in the list of the order, okay? How many of you know murder's serious? It's number six on the list. Adultery, yikes, number seven. Stealing, whew, number eight. You know what God puts above all three of those? Dishonoring your mom and dad, it's number five. Could it be that God sees dishonoring your mom and dad is a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery. Now, I am not justifying murder, stealing, or adultery. The Bible says you practice it, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, and you'll do jail time on a couple of them as well. However, I believe God sees dishonoring your mom and dad as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery, and I have proof. First Chronicles 5.1, New Living Translation says that Reuben, firstborn of Jacob, lost his birthright because he dishonored his dad. Simeon and Levi, second and thirdborn, they murdered men in cold blood. Nothing happened to their birth order. Why? Because God sees dishonoring your parents as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery. That's why I put it at number five. Why is it we go to society and say, tell us what's important to God? Why don't we go to God and find out what's important to God? So think about it. Put yourself in the devil's shoes just for 30 seconds. You got a people, you don't want them blessed. You don't want them living a long life. You don't want them living a successful life. Put some movies out. Put a G stamp on it. Train them how to dishonor their parents so you can legally get into their life and keep them from being successful. He is not as stupid as we thought him to be. You still with me tonight? Okay, let's go to the next one. Maybe you'll get happy on this one. All right, social, bosses, teachers, coaches. Let as many as their servants, students, employees, athletes, under the yoke count their own masters, teachers, bosses, coaches, worthy of some honor. I didn't hear it, buddy. All honor. Let me give you one example that will illustrate this. A um, couple years ago, I was in Florida, on the coast of Florida, playing a golf course. It was a $200 million golf course, okay? Now, the clubhouse is the second biggest clubhouse I've ever seen in my life at any golf course, and I've played some of the nicest, okay? And there were no members in this golf club. It was owned by one man. Only his friends played there. It was quite remarkable. Mayor Bloomfield of New York was on the putting green. Bob Greasy of the Miami Dolphins was in the group behind me. Jim Leland, the coach of the Detroit Tigers, was at the table next to me at lunch, and next to him was Tom Brokaw. Now, I'm playing golf with this guy who manages a staff of 37 people that only take care of the grounds, not the clubhouse. And he's a Christian, and I'm getting ready to hit a shot, and I look up at him, and I said, Alan, you need to take care of this golf course as if Jesus owns it, not Mr. H., he goes, John, where do you get that? I said, the Bible says that you serve your employers not as men pleasers, but as unto the Lord. He goes, it does say that, doesn't it? I said, yeah. He said, that totally changes my attitude and how I'm taking care of these grounds. I said, good, you got it. And we went back to playing and I beat him that day. It was a good day. All right. <laughs> Next one. Church authority. This is the one Jesus specifically talked about when he said prophet. He said, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Now we're talking about pastors, prophets. And let, let me just say this. Um, there are men that I know personally. When I think of the men, I think of two men come to mind. T.L. Osborne, who went home to be with the Lord a year ago this month. Lisa and I almost went to work for he and his wife back in 1987. At that time, they'd already led 62 million people to Jesus Christ, mostly in their crusades in Africa, not on TV. The other one I think of is Reinhard Bunke. Now, both Reinhard and T.L. both told me, both, told me to my face, and, e and TL emailed me, that in one service, hundreds of deaf ears open up in their services in Africa. Reinhardt saw 22 million people get saved in Africa in, 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 in two years. They would see hundreds of deaf ears open in one service. They'd see blind eyes opened up, scores of blind eyes. They'd see people, crippled people who had never walked all their life start walking. Now, I look at these men that I know personally. They come back to the United States, same man, same message, same anointing, and their United States meeting, a few headaches get healed. A bad back, a minor case of arthritis. Why? They see ears open over there. They see eyes open over there. They come back here and they see headaches healed. Same man. It's called honor. You see, I've been to Africa. I've been to the Middle East, to these countries, and sometimes it almost scares me the way they, they treat me. Just two years ago, or actually it was three years ago, I flew into Beirut, Lebanon, the Middle East, and I met with 2,500 leaders in Beirut, Lebanon, Yerevan, Armenia. And I met with 2,500 pastors and leaders. They came from all over, Saudi Arabia, they came from Syria, Jordan, Lebanon. 
And I remember when I landed, I'm coming down off the plane, and everybody's going this way, and there's a whole delegation waiting at the bottom, and they're shaking my hand. They say, Mr. Bevere, welcome, welcome. And they take me a different way. They put me in this room, beautiful room, give me really good food, give me some drinks. They said, now would you like to go to your hotel, sir? I said, I got to go through customs and immigration. He said, oh, no, 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 I'll take care of Then this parade leads me to my hotel, okay? You cannot believe what God did in those meetings. I remember one time I'm speaking to 10,000 people in Mombasa, Kenya. My delegation, again, walks me out, puts me in a chair that almost looks like a throne, and three women come up, and they're bowing. One's got a basin, one's got a pitcher, and one's got a towel. I looked at the leader, and I said, what are they here to do? They said, they're here to wash your hands before you have lunch. And I'm thinking, I can wash my own hands. And I remember the Holy Spirit said, don't you dare not let them do this. One time I was speaking to 3,000 senior pastors from 18 nations in Africa. Associate pastors were not allowed. It was Billy Joe Daughtery and others. And, and I remember, I'm done speaking, and I get served dinner, and the guy's walking away, and the leader said, do you see who just served your, your meal? I said, yeah. He said, that person's the head of the CIA of the entire nation. I said, hold it, hold it, wait a minute. He just served my dinner. And then the leader looked at me and he said, aren't you the man of God? Then all of a sudden I realized we don't get it in America. You see, you have to understand we've confused worship with honor in America. Forever and ever and ever we'll worship only our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and no one and no one else. But forever and ever and ever we'll give honor to whom honors due because God loves honor. You see, forever and ever and ever, we'll give honor to Pastor Brady for being our honor. Forever and ever and ever, I'll give honor to my mom and dad for being my mom and dad. Are you with me, guys? See, can I just be really honest with you? Because I only got a few more minutes. When I was in the Middle East speaking to those 2,500 pastors and leaders, now you know the way pastors can be. They were sitting on the edge of their chairs. I'm not kidding. Leaning in, writing ferociously because they really believed, these are pastors from Iran, they really believed I was a man sent from heaven to bring them the word of God. In America, they sit there and go, we've heard the best, what do you have to say? So, they get their eyes open, we get our headaches healed. You figure it. Let's go to the next one. Let's skip the, oh, oh, the, yeah, the, go back. Let the elders who rule, rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Double honor is the only place in the whole Bible you're going to find that God says to give it to the leaders in the church, to people who preach and teach the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean you can't laugh with Pastor Brady. It doesn't mean you can't come up and pat him on the back. It just means you better have a huge amount of respect for him while you're doing it in your heart. Because one young man, when I was a youth pastor, came up to me and said, would you be my buddy, Pastor John? And I said, I felt this check inside. And I looked at him and I said, Joel, you got a lot of buddies because he was really popular in our youth group. He said, oh yeah, I got a lot of buddies. I said, you got one youth pastor, don't you? He said, yeah. I said, well, Jesus said you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you're going to get a prophet's reward. You receive a youth pastor in the name of a youth pastor, you're going to get a youth pastor's reward. He said, you receive a buddy in the name of a buddy, you're going to get a buddy's reward. I said, what do you want from me, Joel? You want a youth pastor's reward or a buddy's reward? He said, I want a youth pastor's reward. I said, good choice, and I walked away. <laughs> Do you know I was able to help him a lot more in being his youth pastor because he understood. You understand what I'm saying? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Let's go to the next one. Let me, let me, let me, let me close off here. He who honors a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Now, Jesus is talking about our peers. Everybody say our peers. Let me give you one example that will illustrate this. Just one story, one quick story. I'm down in southern Florida speaking in a meeting one night. After the meeting's over, this gentleman walks up to me, dressed up in a suit. He looked like a very successful businessman. He said, Mr. Bevere, can I talk to you for a couple minutes? I said, sure. He said, I own a specialized fountain-making company. We make fountains for landscaping companies. He said, um, the largest landscaping company in all of south Florida owed my company $117,000 for fountains we made for their landscaping projects. He said, and they weren't paying it. He said, and I knew they had the money. And he said, every day that was going on, I was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And I started bad-mouthing them to my employees. I started bad-mouthing them to my family. And he said, and then I heard you speak on honor. He said, when I heard you speak on honor, God dealt with my heart. And I went to my employees the next day, and I said, guys, I've spoken bad about that company. I'm wrong. 
I'm the one that's wrong. We will never speak bad about that company in, the, in, in, our, in, in, in our workplace again. He said, I said, did the same thing with my family. He said, then I drove 30 minutes to meet with the owner of that company, the company that owed him $117,000. I sat down with the owner of the company. I looked across the desk. He said, I want to apologize to you. I've, I've, I've been bitter, and I've talked bad about you to my employees, and I, I realize I'm the one that's wrong. I told my whole company, we will speak nothing but good things about you. He said, I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I just said it. He said, I've apologized to God. And he said, now I'm apologizing to you. He said, now listen, they talked for a few minutes. He said, this is what I want you to do. He looked at that owner and he said, I want you to just, you know, whenever you're ready, you just write us a check of what you feel our work is worth to you. He said, so I left. One week later, I got a check for $11,000. Do you understand they owed him $117,000? And the guy writes a check for $11,000. So you see, it doesn't work hold on. This man looks at me and he says, two weeks later, my company got the largest job we've ever gotten in the history of our company. We got a two and a half million dollar job. And he said, four weeks later, we got a seven million dollar job. (laughs) That's called honor's reward. You know what I've learned? The greatest reward comes when you honor those who dishonor you. Jesus said, you love those, you honor those who honor you. What reward do you have? Even gang members do the same. Good preaching, John. Amen. I'll help some of you. Okay. (laughs) Let's go to the last one because I've only just got a minute left. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water honors them in the name of a disciple. Surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now Jesus is talking about those who are entrusted to our authority, our care. Now he's talking about our wives, our children, our employees, our team members, our I could talk to you for so long. In fact, in the book, this is the biggest section. I'm only getting a minute to talk about it. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, the rewards that I've received in honoring my wife, Lisa, my children. In fact, you know what the Bible says, guys? The Bible says, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. Now, weaker vessel does not mean she's beneath you. It only means, and I mean it only means, she can't bench press as much as you. That's all it means. In fact, she is an heir together in the grace of life. In fact, do you know what the Bible says in that same verse? If you do not honor your wife, heaven will not listen to your prayers. Guys, that is a miserable place to be that heaven's not listening to your prayers. Hey, John, can I pray for you? (laughs) No, thanks. I see the way you talk to your wife. Why should you pray for me when heaven's not listening to you? It's pretty quite simple. It goes past our employees, our family members. It goes right down to the waiter in the restaurant, to the person in the grocery store. You know, I've literally had to walk back in, true story, walk back into a restaurant and put more money on the table because of the pathetic tip that was left by a fellow Christian. It was actually a pastor. I was so embarrassed. I felt so bad for the waiter. You know, I remember one time I left a 30% tip. One time I left a 50% tip because I wanted the person to know that I valued them. You know, one of my closest friends is Aaron Badley. He's a PGA golfer. Anytime they have a tournament here, usually Aaron stays at my house. And this was several years ago. Whole Foods had just opened. And that's my favorite store in the whole city, man. You want to see a kid at Christmas, you watch me go into Whole Foods. And so I'm walking through Whole Foods, and they have all those employees, you guys know it. And Aaron looks at me after 20 minutes, and he goes, does everybody in this store know you? I said, yeah, probably. Now, I don't want them to know I'm an author. I don't want them to know I'm a minister. They know me because I talk to them. Like, I remember at that time, Richard in the meat department, he liked a specialized cheese, but it was $30 a pound, so I went and bought a half a pound and said, hey, Richard, take this home and have it with your wife. He looked at me like, dude, are you serious? I said, yeah. I mean, I bought the store manager a loaf of Mountain Harvest bread. And you know, I always picked out this one girl in the checkout line. This was a few years back. She's not here anymore. And I picked her out because she had like 15 piercings. She had every inch of her Caucasian skin was covered with color tattoos. She usually had four or five different colors in her hair. Like she'd have fluorescent yellow next to the bright red, next to the blue purple, next to the, you know, orange. So I'd pick her line out on purpose, and I'd go through it. Every time I'd go through, I'd go, oh, your hair, it looks amazing today. And she'd go, oh, thanks. I said, how do you do it? How do you keep the fluorescent yellow from bleeding into the bright red? And she goes, let me tell you about it. 
And so she'd tell me, right? So one time her line was real busy, and I skipped it, went over to a shorter line, and she closed her line down. She comes over to me. She's weeping. And she said, my gr- grandmother died. My grandfather died this week up in Denver. She said, I'm going to have to move up to Denver and live with my grandmother. She, and she's crying. She said, you know what I'm going to miss most of all about Colorado Springs? I said, what? She said, you, your wife, and your boys. I love you guys so much. You know what? She didn't even know I was a minister. She didn't know I was an author. And right then I was able to give her a couple books, The Bait of Satan and a few others, and minister to her. Do we honor people to get the reward? No, a million times no. The reason we honor that person is because we realize that God paid the most expensive ransom in the whole universe. The price of the blood of Jesus for that one person. Your greatest temptation now, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be to go out and treat everybody nice. That's going to last about a week. You got to cry out for true honor in your heart because it originates in the heart. Did you get something out of this tonight, guys? Did you get something out of this? Let me just pray for you. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to bow your heads. Every, every guy in here, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm one minute past, so I need to close this up. But I just want to, I want to pray for you. If you say, John, I've not been honoring my wife, my children, my friends, my bosses, my pastor, the employees here at New Life Church, like I know I should, I want you to just lift your hand up high right now. I want to pray for you tonight. Just lift it up high with every head bowed. Every, must be 80% of the hands are up in the building right now. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit talked to me about this. Just put your hands back down. Can we all pray this together right now? Say this from the depths of your heart. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to me tonight through your servant. I realize I've not valued the people you've brought into my life the way you value them. Forgive me for this. From this day forward, I'm asking that you would baptize me, fill me with true honor that I would value men, women, and children the way you value them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank God, all right? Tim, can you come help me really quick? Hey, let me just say this. Guys, this is not a commercial. This is an extension of the ministry. It took me 300 hours to write this book. I can't preach it in 45 minutes. Basically covered about a chapter and a half. So this is what I did. I actually did 12 30-minute DVDs, 12 30-minute CDs. What do I do? I walk through the book chapter by chapter by chapter. So you got a piece of it tonight. And then we have the devotional journal. And this is, you know, every day you spend about 10 minutes in here. You read one chapter in the book a week. You watch one 30-minute DVD a week. It's made for your busy schedule. What is it designed to do to get true honor in your heart? Because I don't want to see you walk out of here excited and you're back to life as usual in two weeks. I want to see our church change. I want to see our community change. I want to see miracles start happening because of the way you honor and value. And I believe that if you get this in your heart, you get this in your family's hearts, we're going to be changed as a church. I love you so much. And by the way, we've reduced the curriculum 50% of its suggested retail price. That way it makes it a lot more affordable. I love you guys so much. Thanks for being brothers in Christ, being church brothers. It's so great to be a family again. Pastor, thank you so much. David, you want to come up and close?